This is the Inside Track podcast by the BVRLA. Join us as we speak to high-profile guests from across rental, leasing and fleet as they discuss their careers, react to the latest news and look at what may be coming in the future. Hi everyone and thanks for tuning in to the Inside Track podcast. I'm Adam, Head of Communications at the BVRLA. In this episode, we'll be looking at the findings of the association's latest Road to Zero report card. The report card is published annually and assesses the industry's progress in decarbonisation when it comes to vehicle demand, supply and infrastructure. Um, And within that, it considers the varied needs and trajectories of cars, vans and trucks, um, giving recommendations for each that will see us achieve our sustainability goals. Today, we're looking at the results for HGVs, and I'm pleased to welcome Rob Gwynn from Bolter Trucks to explore the picture further. Um, Rob, hi, how are you? Hi, uh, thank you very much. Yeah, very well, thank you indeed. Excellent. And I understand in your, you know, you've got a, quite a strong background in sort of transport and logistics. Um, and within Volta Trucks, it's all about bringing zero emission trucks to market and sort of looking at last mile solutions and sort of truck as a service. Um, is, is that fair? Have you got anything else to add in terms of what you're you're looking at? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. So we are um, a scaling up business, uh, having designed and are bringing to market a 16 ton uh, full electric HGV designed purely for the urban environment. Um, And we very firmly feel that electrification in the urban environment is the uh, zero emission solution uh, that operators are looking for and needing to to go into their, uh, their operations. Um, and as you said, uh, we, we're also relatively unique in this because we're not only supplying uh, a product to market, but we're also bringing a truck as a service offering, which is the all encompassing ecosystem to assist operators making that transition to electric vehicles, covering financing, insurance, maintenance and servicing, um, uh, telematics, driver training, site assessments, infrastructure all under that that one uh, monthly fee uh, to really help operators make that switch. Excellent. I think obviously with, within that background, I think you're you know, looking forward to hearing more about uh, your take on things and how the report card sort of ties in. Um, so I guess if we start, we look at the results for, for HGVs as we published this year. Um, I mean, it, it paints a challenging picture. Um, demand is amber but accelerating. We're seeing firms are giving more serious thought to how they can move to zero emission trucks. Um, supply and infrastructure, however, they're both they're both red, sort of parked. Um, particularly seeing there's an absence of suitable provisions, it's holding progress back. Um, do those rankings seem fair to you? Where do you think we are on the road to zero? Yeah, I think those rankings are fair. I mean, um, I would agree on the demand. It is accelerating. There are early adopters. Um, in the industry that are looking for how they can achieve their own net zero targets. Um, And transportation for logistics companies is the biggest area that there is for making those improvements. They're uh, more limited in what they can do within their own operations in terms of buildings um, and warehousing, et cetera. But transportation is is an element that they can really, um, it's almost like the low hanging fruit really to be able to, to tackle. Um, so I would agree with the uh, the accelerating um, uh, for the demand because uh, I see we can see that. Um, and then uh, infrastructure and supply, yeah, I think uh, infrastructure is for, for us definitely parked. Uh, it's one of the biggest areas where we see there being the, the biggest barrier for operators to overcome. Um, there are 
schemes available um, and funding uh, projects out there for the strategic road network and charging at motorway service stations and indeed public charging infrastructure uh, as highlighted um, for the cars and van sections in the report. But there is a real void at the moment in infrastructure for urban environments for commercial vehicles. Um, so I think that's a very fair assessment. And then the supply. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that's fair for when the report was published. I think the supply uh, and obviously we're going to be a new entrant onto the market um, early next year. Then I think we are starting to see a shift in that through ourselves and others um, in the manufacturing space, starting to bring more zero emission options to market because we can see that that demand is accelerating. So I expect to see that really change next year. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And I mean, within as perhaps related to your point around infrastructure, one of the main recommendations in the report card was the need for the absence of this, uh, like a powertrain roadmap and the need for that to be developed. Obviously, with, within trucks, there's a lot of uncertainty around, you know, all the different use cases can come into play or they're more extreme. You've got much bigger loads. You've got different use cases to be looking at particularly within that urban environment, what kind of infrastructure do you think we need? So I think you're absolutely right. The the whole HGV um, sector has so many different um, applications and user cases that there isn't going to be one um, source of uh, zero emission technology that actually is able to be used across the whole fleet and, and sector. But for urban environments, we see electrification as being that solution. It's available now. And so for us, the infrastructure um, is almost in in two parts. Uh, Operators really do need back to base charging infrastructure for these vehicles because that's their business and that's their operating model is, is the HGVs leave in the morning. They go out and do their drops, their deliveries, their pickups. And then they go back either for reloading or unloading. And it's at that time when those vehicles are back at base and and at their depots that charging infrastructure is really required to be able to plug in those vehicles while they're doing the loading and unloading. There is a second strand to that, um, which is probably the commercialization for electric forecourts for commercial vehicles. Now, of course, in the urban environment, space is is a premium. But there is opportunities here for um, electric charging um, commercial entities to develop those forecourts for commercial vehicles. And we're starting to see electric forecourts rolling out in the passenger car world. And it's not a quantum leap to actually see this happening for commercial vehicles. And indeed, there are potential commercializations uh, between um, commercial entities around utilizing space in urban environments for trucks to come in and charge. Um, and we are seeing um, electric trucks taking, uh, sorry, electric um, buses uh, coming more and more prevalent in our urban environment. And there is potentially there an opportunity for the utilization of that charging infrastructure and space um, on a commercial perspective while those buses are out doing their routes and, vi- and commercial vehicles, HGVs, are in the same location because drivers still need to take their mandatory brakes, et cetera. And so there's a potential there. But for us at the moment, um, in order to facilitate the the impact that is available through the switching to electric vehicles, we need the depot charging to really be there to uh, to help uh, operators do that. Yeah, I think that is, I guess that's where the larger vehicles, like you say, often 
you know, on set routes, they're on set timings, you've got those mandatory breaks. So that consistency should make it easier in some respects to sort of plan around because there's a lot more of that. You know, when vehicles are due, you know how long they're going to be there, you know what their route is then after to, to sort of establish what kind of range they're going to need and work backwards from there almost. Right, and I, the, the range that the Volta Zero offers um, is uh, from our own experiences and talking to customers going to be um, suitable to be able to go out and do their rounds without having to actually charge on their routes, which makes the back-to-base depot charging even more critical because that's when they're going to actually need to be charging. But the the availability of commercial vehicle charging infrastructure out and about is always going to be advantageous for them um, to just you know ensure that if there are any changes to that, then they're easily um, able to cover it. But I suppose that's where our understanding of customers' routes and the work that we do um, is key because we then know that the vehicle is able to do the routes that our customers are looking for and we can then put forward to them and say, well, out of the, the routes that you do, X number are suitable for electrification, therefore this is what we would recommend. Um, but it, of course that in itself creates a piecemeal approach to the electrification of a fleet because the stumbling block may be that there is not enough capacity coming into their site to actually be able to facilitate the number of trucks for the routes that could be electrified. So therefore operators tend to go uh, on the lower side as opposed to actually the larger side of terms of numbers that they're able to take, um, which just means that the impact of being able to switch to electric HGVs is a lot less than what it could otherwise be. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned a moment ago, it's not a, a quantum leap. It was the term to go from sort of, you know, cars and LCVs, the charging infrastructure for them to trucks. What are the main differences between, you know, a car, car forecourt that's been set up to charge cars? And I presume you can't just <laughs> take a truck and, and plug in at the same place. What, what are the main differences and could the really? be shared? Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to space. It really comes down to the size of the parking base. You know, if um, if you have um, parking bays that are set up for cars and you put a truck into it, you're suddenly going to be blocking access to others, um, depending on whether you park within the parking bays it's designed or whether you cut across it to not reduce access. Um, and of course, the, just the whole manoeuvring and the locations of those are key so that um, drivers don't have to deviate too far from their routes. In terms of, of power and, and then the, the charging infrastructure that's being put in for, and there's many different terms for speed of charging. So you've got super fast, ultra fast, rapid, um, but those are all applicable for HGVs with the same connectors um, to give a 10 or 15 minute, 45 minute, if it's a break for a driver, top up to be able to get on and continue with their route or to provide them with that certainty that they have enough range um, or there's been a change to their route should they, they need it. So I suppose that's the biggest barrier in converting one to the other or utilizing that space for both cars and trucks is just the space that is available. Okay, so within that, and I guess looking at, at the next steps, what would you sort of say is your, your top ask from a policy perspective or with the government at the moment, 
you know, where you think there's the either the quickest win or the most immediate attention that needs to be paid? So I think um, the the answer, the very quick answer to that is funding, is public funding and, and government support is our biggest ask. At the moment in the UK, there is very little support for infrastructure for operators to have help in the amount of money that's available to them to be able to install infrastructure. When you make comparisons to um, uh, EU countries, there is an awful lot more in terms of support. So that would be the biggest ask is, is looking at what support is available um, and facilitating operators and putting schemes in place for operators to be able to, to access that. The, the, linked to that also, you have timescales in terms of the length of time it can take to install that. But actually the biggest one is, is cost prohibitive. If the cost is too prohibitive to operators to do it in the first place, then timescales become irrelevant because they're not actually going to do it. So that would be our, our first kind of priority uh, ask would be to look at funding for infrastructure because there is funding for um, HGVs and the transition to electric vehicles through the plug-in truck grant. So another ask, but again, under the kind of the funding would be to pro provide businesses with more security and if, and, you know, if possible, more money towards the upfront cost of, of these vehicles, um, because at the moment, you know, that scheme is due to run out at the end of financial year 24, 25, I believe, which doesn't offer businesses the security that they need or the confidence that they need. That scheme's going to be there when they want to then look at their purchasing cycles and incorporating new vehicles into that. So it's a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a, a multifaceted answer, but it all comes under that kind of um, financial support available. Um, and I suppose, as mentioned earlier on, there are schemes and funding uh, and infrastructure funding by the government being used on the motorway network to install charging infrastructure for HGVs along the strategic road network. But it would be our, our thinking is that there can be more value and return on that investment by actually putting some infrastructure funding in place for the urban environment because there are vehicles that are available and able to use that charging infrastructure and start reaping some of that value now as opposed to as you said at the start there is so many um, uncertainties around what the future technology is going to be for long distance trunking and, and sort of heavy load going up and down the motorways that it seems a bit premature to put charging infrastructure in there that may not be utilized to its full potential yet whereas in the urban environment that charging infrastructure can and will be used to its full potential because there are products uh, vehicles battery electric vehicles available to be able to use that now hmm. it's uh, it's an interesting one i guess you always you know whenever you and any other manufacturers are having those kind of conversations it's always going to be i guess those two two main issues that an operator faces it's the feasibility of if they can retain you know the efficiencies and the operations that they already have in terms of infrastructure range etc and then as you say just the bottom line of what those costs are and how they stack up against the current fleet they have and the current operating costs I mean, as much as you know you You'd expect infrastructure will improve and there will be that investment, or at least we'll be pushing for that. Um, are there other sort of innovations or technologies you would you see coming through or you're working on that sort of help to plug that cost 
cost equation as well as the infrastructure being there. So I think I think that um, innovation for us is our truck as a service offering. I think that ability for an operator to have a one manufacturer to go to that will look after that whole process as a partner with them to not only supply the vehicle but the infrastructure and everything else so that they can just have the one um, sort of location operator to go to to have all of that I think is what will really make that transition more feasible because what it does is it our TAS offering de-risks it for the operator because they have a fixed monthly fee based on the bespoke nature of their operations, distances, number of vehicles, the charging infrastructure that may be required, etc. means that actually they don't have that really high sort of upfront cost of purchasing an electric vehicle, then have to go to someone else for the charging infrastructure and then have to go to someone else to actually maintain and service these vehicles if they don't have that in place already. So rather than having to sort of start from a very standing start to go to one one manufacturer for the vehicle, then someone else to do the charging infrastructure, then work out how they can um, combine their either in-house maintenance and servicing or look for someone else to do that for them. We provide all of that. And so not only does that make it, it easier for them to begin their electrification journey, I think that's where the real innovation comes in because it's just it just makes that whole transition seemingly um, takes away the pain points and the barriers that operators have currently faced. And I think that in itself makes the offering uh, more feasible and attractive to operators to take. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. And I guess it, it mirrors to some extent, you know, some of the services we've seen developed and be very popular within cars lcvs where is that you know one one solution sort of everything just comes in it's all taken care of and then you can move sort of move on with your business and not have to balance all different supplies all different installations all of that extra hassle that comes with it right but it's also then when you're two or three years down the line having used these vehicles you've still got that one um person from volta trucks to be able to call if you have a problem with your charging infrastructure or it's developed a fault um, or you're looking at your maintenance and servicing, you've got a, a vehicle, you know, not that they should break down because there's 80% less moving parts to them, but if there are any problems, you don't have multiple people to ring up, I need new tyres, I need to go to my tyre manufacturer or whoever it may be. There is just that one telephone number that you need to call and Volta Trucks take care of that for you through that that TAS offering. Um, and I've heard from customers recently that that is uh, a really attractive proposition because it just takes all of, again, that pain out of it for them. Um, so that kind of one-stop shop, um, I think, is, is where there's the real benefit. Yeah, definitely. And there's so, so much good stuff in there. I mean, without meaning to... Uh... You know, keep you too long and go into you know, everything in huge detail, which I'm sure we we could do. I guess we just close by saying, you know, looping back to the Road to Zero report card. When we look to do it again for 2023, what progress do you think we may have seen for trucks, or what are the key markers in your mind for if the journey is sort of succeeding or falling short? 
So I think I think um, I think the demand will still be accelerating. Um, I think we will see the demand accelerate for a good few years to come because the early adopters and the businesses that are super keen on on making that transition now are starting to do so. Um, but then those that may be less keen, I think, are watching and waiting to see the outcome from the early adopters taking it and, and what the user case examples are. So I firmly believe that that will still be accelerating. Um, I hope the infrastructure will have moved to accelerating. I hope that we have actually seen um, some more progress in this space um, through the accelerating of the demand and these vehicles starting to be utilized and seen. And then the, the, the growing nature of that will mean that actually the, the demand for more vehicles for operators to be able to incorporate more into their fleets will then see that demand for infrastructure grow. Um, and I think that will, um, again, continue to add to the case around more support needed because it will be, it won't be the case of, you know, the vehicles will have proven, it will be the case the vehicles have proven themselves and now it will be operators saying, right, actually we want more. And that will be what's holding operators back. And that will then demonstrate that actually a whole meal approach to this is what's required because it's the easiest element to uh, decarbonize transport is by doing this and therefore that's that's where the, it's most advantageous i think um and then again supply i think again your supply with demand will see that accelerating um more and more manufacturers are looking at um electrification predominantly but there are others that are looking at um, hydrogen and hydrogen range extenders view uh, through fuel cells um, and all of this is good. All of this is going towards what we're ultimately trying to achieve, which is the decarbonisation of transport. Um, and so, though all of the the different elements and players in the in the arena um, looking at doing it, I think we'll all see the demand and the supply really start to to, to grow um, as the snowball begins to gather momentum. Absolutely, and I mean just to bring it together. I mean, you you mentioned earlier how you know there are some some cases where there's almost a critical mass of if you fully commit to to going you know uh, zero emissions it it's more feasible than just doing a piecemeal approach would that what's your advice to sort of when you're speaking with operators do you tend to sort of look to try you know one or two vehicles making that transition to have that trial see how it works and then expand or is it make sure it's feasible for a critical mass and then make the switch? So I think individual operators, um, we're seeing kind of uh, the relatively piecemeal adaptation of wanting to understand how this technology can be incorporated into their operation to understand firstly, it does the job what it needs to do and fits into their operation. And ultimately it's a working vehicle and they can use it for what they need to use it for. I think that's a for us, I think that's a relatively um, easy user case to be able to satisfy. Um, and that's why we've spent such a um, intense period working with our early adoptive customers and those interested in it to ensure that the vehicle we bring to market is fit for purpose. And we understand what the next iterations of that vehicle needs to be and what uh, bespoke um, adaptations customers need to those vehicles. And I think once you see that, I think you will then see the floodgates really open um, because it will then become a proven technology. Um, and then coupled with the service offering as well, I think 
that will be a real eye opener for operators that actually um, it's not as potentially painful as as what it was first thought of. Um, and the vehicles do what they need them to do. The range is more than adequate for what is needed by uh, operators to be able to do. Um, and then I think you'll start to see some real seismic shifts. Yeah, no, that, that's amazing. I mean, Rob, thank, thanks so much for your time today. It's thank great you for to hear. Me on. It's great to hear about that. You know, the positive work that is taking place, so we can get that. You know, improve that picture, and hopefully next year we will start seeing it move in that direction. Um, I mean, it, it is an area of focus for the BVRLA, and you know, something I know will continue to to work on, not just with yourselves, but other other members in this space. Um, and as you say, there's a, there's a lot of you know positive green shoots there, and it's just about keeping up that momentum, keeping that push. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think next year will be certainly key for Volta Trucks as as we um, start series production and, and actually get the the customers to have vehicles on the road being utilized in their operations. Um, and I think we'll see 2023 as being a real kind of kickstart. Amazing. Well, let, let's leave it on that positive note, shall we? <laughs> Super. Um, thanks again and have a great day. Thank you very much, you too. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you click the subscribe button. Please leave a rating or review and feel free to share this on your social platforms.